Trust me, he'll have his act together by then. <laughs> so you're all still here? I could have gone to heaven. I'd have taken you with me. But man, on that great I am, I could have gone to heaven. And I hope you would too. Dave and I have talked a lot about changing dynamics of the service, the flow, the aspects of it. And uh, we're excited about some of the great music that God has out there. Just down a little bit, will you? Andrew, I appreciate that. There's a lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully so you won't miss out on anything. Obviously, that concert coming up with Cutlass and Mark Schultz, about a mile, Butler Boys that have just exploded in the music field are going to be here that night as well. So if you want a great opportunity to sing and to celebrate and just to enjoy the amazing presence of God and incredible music, that's going to be that night. I think it's a three-hour concert. So uh, you'll have a blast just being able to sing and celebrate the goodness and power of God. Again, a lot of other information in your bulletin, so make sure you read it carefully so you won't miss out on anything at all. I don't know about you, but every time I read the newspaper, more specifically, watch the news, I can't help but think, wow, can it get any worse? And then it does. Now, I'm, I'm not a depressed guy by nature, and so I certainly don't get that way, and I don't let it push me down. But every so often when I read the news or watch the news, it's overwhelming. And I feel like we're living in unbelievably dark days. When you begin to think about all the things that are taking place that you see in front of you probably every day at some point or the other, Mass shootings, police shootings, genocide. Did you know over 100,000 people were destroyed in Syria alone? I mean, that's mind-numbing. The population, over the population of all of Butler County, destroyed in genocide just in Syria alone. ISIS, Iran, the atrocities of Planned Parenthood selling baby parts like car parts in a junkyard. Corrupt government, marital unfaithfulness. When the Ashley Madison list came out and all the people that came out as a result of that, drug overdoses and drug abuse in so many areas in Butler County, Washington County, Allegheny County, the Syrian crisis, refugees fleeing over 4 million of them out of Syria alone, fleeing into other nations. I don't know if you saw it yesterday, there was a cloud formation over the nation of Costa Rica. And as they watched it unfold, people were saying, is God returning? I mean, it was a first response when they saw that unusual cloud formation of what was going on. Is God going to return? And every once in a while, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read the news or hear the news and watch what's going on and see things continuing to get worse and worse and worse, Franklin Graham said yesterday in his blog, can it get any worse? And then we watch some of the things our nation's government and our leaders are doing and some of the things that are taking place and the people they're putting into leadership and you wonder, how long, oh Lord, will you put up with all of this? It's hard if we're not careful not to get a little bit discouraged, not depressed necessarily because of our hope in Christ, and we'll talk about that this morning, but it is hard not to get a little bit overwhelmed by some of the things we see going on around us. 
was reading some material about that this week and reading some material from Joe Rosenberg, and I found myself being led to our next character. His name is Jeremiah. Now, if you have not been with us before, we're in an Old Testament series, and we'll probably stay there till almost Thanksgiving, and talk about some of the great Old Testament characters of the Old Testament that I think have some things to say to us here in 2015 that are just as relevant as when they were written. The dark days that Jeremiah is living in are very similar to the dark days that you and I are living in. And so when I read some of the issues, all of that, and I said to you yesterday on Phone Tree, we're obviously not going to go over 52 chapters, or you should have brought not only a lunch, but your supper tonight. Because there's a lot of information in this, but when you look at the overlay, which is honestly what we're doing in this series... As you look at the overlay of that book, you see a guy living in incredibly difficult times and being called on by God to be a messenger in the middle of that. This young Jewish man living in very dark times, finding incredible hope in God and great boldness and courage despite all the pressure, despite all the danger. We're going to talk about that this morning. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4 to 9 only. Jeremiah chapter 1, we're only going to read some snippets of this great book, but if you're not in a devotional track, and I hope you are, I hope you at least flow along with us in this series so that when I talk to you next Sunday morning, we're going to be in Nehemiah, the first couple of chapters, profound information, profound material. If you're not in a devotional track already and would like to be, when you hear me announce what we're going to do, I try to do it a week ahead of time, read some of these stories, just powerfully relevant to the day and age in which we live. Verse 4, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Sounds like Moses. But the Lord said to me, Don't say I'm too young. You must go everywhere I send you and say whatever I command you to say. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. If you read the whole book, you're going to realize this guy is living in really dark days. So what I noticed in all of this is a couple of illustrations, a couple of observations And more specifically, an understanding of what kept him going in the world in which he was living. First observation out of that context here is that Jeremiah had a clear sense of destiny and a clear call from God. Even in the middle of the darkness, a clear understanding of who he was, what God called him to do, and what he was to be. That also applies to all of us. Every single one of us have a destiny. Every single one of us have a clear understanding, if we know Christ is our Savior, and I'll talk about that in a moment, have a clear understanding, or at least should have a clear understanding, of who we are in Him and what He's asking us to do in the environments in which He places us. Ephesians 2 that John referred to a couple of weeks ago, we're God's handiwork, we're God's craftsmanship, we're God's precious vases, we're God's precious masterpiece. So when someone starts to put you down or don't think you amount to much or maybe the enemy himself is coming at you saying you're no good, you're not going to amount to much, what do you have to offer, what can you do? Just look at him and say, I'm God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. I don't know if you've ever been in places where you just stand in awe 
of some of the things that God has done. God's handiwork. I've talked to you before how much I love sunrises and sunsets. Love sunsets better because I don't have to get up so early in the morning to see the sunrise. The other day we left early and, and, and to go. We come early, came here early this morning and it's just absolutely breathtaking to see God's handiwork. But my wife's philosophy is if God wanted me to see the sunrise, he'd have made it later in the day. So we really enjoy the sunsets. And every so often I just stand in awe of God's handiwork. The first time I went to Colorado and went through Kansas and Ohio and all of these flat places, Nebraska, you think, seriously, this is the same as what I just saw the last 12 hours. And then all of a sudden you had this breathtaking view of the Rockies and then you keep climbing. And we went to the Life Conference in 1980. That's how old I am. Into Essie's Park, Colorado, and you're just climbing up this mountain, and all of a sudden you stop every once in a while and you are just in awe of God's handiwork. First time we went hunting out in the Rockies, and remember some guys, we took horseback rides all the way up to these switchbacks, all the way to the top, and then you ride through on horseback. I mean, does it get any better than that? You ride through these aspens, the yellow and the gold, and you're thinking, God, this is amazing. And then when I read sections of scripture like this, that I am God's handiwork, I am God's masterpiece, I understand who I am in him, and I don't devalue myself, I don't want to look down on myself, don't want to be arrogant about it. Philippians said, don't think more highly of yourself than the opposite thing. But every once in a while when I feel down and I feel like I'm not doing much or don't amount to much, and then I look at God's handiwork around me, and then I look at sections of scripture like this, that says I am God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do something, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not just for me to do, not just for a few people to do, but for us to do. And so when Paul writes that to the Ephesians, he said, look, this is for all of us. All of us have a purpose. All of us have a destiny. Psalm 139, I love this. You created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are too wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you. I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me written in your book before one of them came to be. How amazing or precious are your thoughts to me, O God. When anybody talks about life and when it starts and when it exists and all the issues today in regards to Planned Parenthood and abortion and all those issues, all I have to do is go back to the Word of God and I know exactly when life starts. And God sees them all. Before you were formed, I knew you. As I made you and shaped you into what I wanted you to be, I have a clear understanding of who you are, and I have a clear understanding of the destiny that I have for you. We've all been strategically placed by God in an environment where he can use us in remarkable ways to make a difference. Ordinary people being used by an extraordinary God to make a difference wherever he's placed us. 
God placed all of you, wherever you work, wherever you live, your environment, whatever that may look like, in your school, in that classroom, in front of those people, in that neighborhood, in that work environment, in that mill, in that 112 degree furnace that you may work on or that crane that overlooks everybody around you. God has strategically placed you in that environment to make a difference. He has a call on your life. He has a destiny for you. He has a reason that you're there and he wants you to make a difference. Can't help but look in the midst of all the issues that Jeremiah is going to face when you look in that context that he understood who he was in God. First Peter, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and put him in his marvelous light. Now, the obvious thing about the beauty of that is that Jeremiah lived in similar times like us. He lived in and around Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah at a time when the Jewish people lived in highly dangerous, rapidly changing geopolitical environment. Powerful and wicked nation Assyria was to the north. The Assyria that we talked about last week, the capital was Nineveh, the the, the prophecies of Isaiah and Nahum. That's why he sent Jonah that we talked about last Sunday morning. Incredibly wicked. To the south of them was Egypt. And Egypt's going to be destroyed by another nation called Babylon. And all of those things are going to take place right in the middle of where he's at. Yet as war and terror and evil were sweeping through through the region, the Jewish people deep in danger They were not listening to the word of God. They were not obeying the Lord. They were not following the Lord. And they were living in sin and darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but that could have described the nation that we live in right now. And it seems to me, now again, you know my political stand. You know my slant and all of that. But I'm telling you, it seems to me that it can't get any worse. And then the next day I read the news and it seems to. And we live in an environment in a world where we see God all around us. We recognize and understand who we are, what we've done, what we're founded on, what we believe, all the issues before us, yet are the people around us, the world around us, the nation in which we live, even though they know the word of God, seem not to obey it, continue to follow their own way, continuing to go deeper and deeper in sin and darkness. Now, maybe it's just me. When I read the world he's living in, I see a lot of similarities. The third observation, not only did he have a clear sense of destiny, living in very dark days, number two, second, or thirdly, he had a powerful message. A message to repent, a message to turn back to God, or a message of facing judgment. All three of those were shared. Repent, turn back to God. They knew God's word. They knew the truth. Turn back to God or face judgment, similar to Nineveh that we talked about last Sunday morning. The Jewish people were hearing the same story. Not only does he have a powerful message, so do we. The only hope for the people of this world is the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God has entrusted into our care. That's the only thing that can take people from darkness to light. We can do all kinds of social programs. There's nothing wrong with them at all. We want to do as much as we possibly can to help people and lift them up and encourage them. But the only absolute hope, literal hope that can change people from darkness to light is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We can pull them out for a while. We can walk with them. We can encourage them. We can love them. We should do all of those things. But the only power that can ever change anybody from darkness to light is the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And that has been entrusted to all of us who know Jesus as our Savior. It's not just for me to do. Not just given to me. And I have the opportunity to go around the world and share everywhere I go and get on a horse or whatever that may be in the old days and travel from place to place and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said that has been entrusted to all of our care. And every single one of us have the privilege and the responsibility of being able to give that gospel to the world around us. The only hope this world has is Jesus. The only hope that one who's addicted to drugs and alcohol has in your life or around you is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can literally change their life forever. He had a powerful message and so do we. Fourth observation is this. And I, I really apologize for this. I, Friday afternoon, 5 o'clock, I'm, I'm driving home and I thought, I didn't do sermon notes. And so I really do apologize because there's just a lot of information. It was one of those weeks I was at district conference and all day Thursday at a funeral of a friend. And didn't get back to late Thursday night, long day in the office, and I'm driving home thinking, oh. so I, I so apologize for that. And I will try to get you something. But the, the fourth observation out of this is he wasn't promised health and wealth. In Jeremiah's case, he was persecuted, mocked, ignored, attacked, beaten, and imprisoned. Like Jesus, he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. You and I are not promised a perfect life in this life. You and I are not promised a perfect life in this life. Prosperity theology that some churches teach isn't biblical. They can find verses to substantiate it, but biblically it's not sustainable. God owes us nothing, but offers us everything. Isn't that awesome? God owes us nothing, but he offers us everything. So often near the end of a saint's life, Someone who served Jesus all of their life, missions, missionary, pastor, whatever it may be, or just a faithful church goer, I'll hear someone, not very often, but hear someone say, how sad after all they've done for God or the way they've lived for God or what they've done that they end up like this. And, and it is sad, and I, and I understand that. But God owes us nothing, but he offers us everything. Prosperity theology or health, wealth, prosperity theology may work in America, but it doesn't work globally. And get this, by the way, the Bible was written for the world. We're not promised a perfect life in this life, but as you hear us end this morning, we are promised it in the next. So what kept Jeremiah going? To get all of the issues, all of the darkness, all the circumstances going on around him, wicked environment, Prison, mocked, ignored, beaten. By the way, I want you to preach everywhere you go. Oh, by the way, they won't listen to you. Thank you for listening to me, by the way, when I read that. By the way, they won't listen to you. How depressing would that be? To preach all of your life and not sure if you have any converts. So what kept him going in the middle of all that? Number one, a close, intimate, personal relationship with the living God. Close, intimate, personal relationship with the living God. Jeremiah 33, call on me and I'll answer you and tell you some great and unsearchable things. Jeremiah 31, the Lord appeared to me. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jer Jeremiah 29, one of our most familiar ones. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. They will call on me. Then you will call on me and come and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
The thing that kept him going in the middle of all of that is a pers- intimate, personal, intimate relationship with the living God. And that relationship, again, is available to all of us. You want to figure out how to survive in these days in which we live. You want to, su- you want to understand how can I get through this life? How can I get through the day? How can I get through the uncertainty of the future? Because I'll be really honest with you, it's not going to get any better. I, I, read, I read the end of this, by the way. I, I hope you did too. Going to get re- it's going to get better, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. What's in the future? But in this earth, it's not going to get any better. And the one solid anchor in your life is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, an acknowledgement of my sin, that I need a Savior, that He's the one and only one, and that I invite Him into my life and I give the control of my life over to Him. The one thing that kept Him going in the middle of all of that darkness and uncertainty was an intimate, personal relationship with the living God, and that is available to all of us that awesome that the god of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with us i know i shared it with you before but there's all kinds of people i'd love to get to know better that are not going to return my phone calls <laughs> that i love just to sit down and have lunch with Ravi Zacharias, a great apologetist, one of, the, one of the most amazing minds I've ever been around. My wife served him lunch, one of the days when he came to churches and, and did just church gatherings. My wife served him lunch and delivered Aaron that night. So all of these years later, 37 fast, fast forward 37 years, when we go and we actually see him and have a conversation with him, he'll ask us how Aaron is. I mean, what a mind. A number of years ago, he was in Nashville, Tennessee, and we were there for a conference, and I wanted to spend just a moment with him. I said, can we have lunch? He said, I'm so busy, but we can have coffee. So he comes in to have coffee with me, and he sits down. He said, I'm so sorry. He was on the phone. Finished the conversation, and I said, I, I, that's, I, I appreciate your time. He said, well, that was, and he named the man, and I said, isn't he on President Bush's staff? He said, yeah. I said, the one in the White House? He said, yeah. The one that's in the White House now? He said, yeah. The White House? He said, yeah. He was calling me about wanting a meeting when I go to Washington. I said, why are you having coffee with me? There's a lot of other people in life I love to have a conversation with that I can't. But I can have a personal, intimate conversation with the God of the universe. How awesome is that? Second thing that kept him going, he had seen God's hand at work. Second thing that kept him going, he had seen God's hand at work. He had seen some of the prophecies that had been predicted for all of these years up to this point come true. And so when he realized that God of the universe, who called me into a personal relationship with me, prophesied this was going to happen, and it does, I believe him. And so when I wonder where it's going, when I'm not sure of the future and I'm trying to look through a glass darkly like Paul describes, I know even if I don't see or understand this, I see what he's done here. So the same God who predicted this is the same God who will accomplish this. So even if I can't see what's going on, I know that this God who said this was going to happen and it did, hundreds of prophecies came true and were fulfilled in Christ. Hundreds more since then, but all of these things that God predicted would come true were not in a Christmas season yet, but just simply when you imagine all the things that God predicted that had to take place for the Son of God to come to be born when he was, where he was, by whom he was, and all of those things, 700 years before he was born, and it all came true to the moment. Then the same God who said these things are going to happen, I better believe. One of the reasons that I've said it before when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, one of the reasons that God says over and over again is to remember. 
is because we'll forget. One of the reasons that God said over and over and over again, remember this, remember what I did, remember what I did, tell it to your kids, tell it to your grandchildren, write it on the doorpost, everywhere you go, just remember, because he knew we would so easily forget. And so he says, rehearse the stories. Even in the middle of the uncertainty, when you don't know where it's going to go and you only see darkness in front of you, rehearse the stories, remember what I did. And believe me in what I will do. Number three, he had a great friend. He had a great friend. You're going to see that story in Jeremiah 36 if you want to write that down somewhere. But he had a great and faithful friend. His name was Baruch. If God has blessed you with one or two trusted friends, be grateful. Don't worry about the fact that you may not have hundreds of followers on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Who honestly cares how many you have? Now, you may. And I'm sorry if you do. But who really cares how many followers we have? If you have one good friend, be incredibly grateful. Now, our esteem, I mean, I, I love Francis Chan at Council a few years ago. How overwhelmingly arrogant of us to think that the whole world has to know everything we do. And even if they don't care, we're going to tell them anyhow, and we put everything we do on Facebook. But it really doesn't matter, to be honest with you. Now, if you have hundreds of followers, you have, if you follow me on Twitter, God bless you, because I can't even find me there. <laughs> but we're so, we're so inundated, so worried about the fact that I've got hundreds of followers. I've got all these. Tw- it doesn't really matter. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. But if you've got one great, if you have hundreds, awesome. If you've got one great friend being unbelievably grateful. You cannot live this Christian life in isolation or insulation. You've got to live it within the context of connectivity or accountability or community. We had, the last few weeks outside, we had all this lobby field. It was almost like, wow, what happened this morning when everything is gone, all the tables and all the signups because everything's starting today. Over 300 new people signed up, over 400 people in life groups. That's awesome. Because one of the only ways you're ever going to get connected is through that. You can't connect with 1,000 people on Sunday morning. One of the best ways to get connected in some form or the other is in a life group, a place where you can share and love or, or an accountability group, one or two friends that you share your life with there, that know everything about you. One of the things that I was reminded this week, did a funeral for my friend, that if you prayed for me, thank you so much. It went incredibly well. In ministry, I've been in four great churches, and I've absolutely loved every one of my church. One of the rare pastors who can say every church I've been in has been awesome. But because of that, the transition, you start all over again in relationships and friendships. So for all of you who have been in Butler all your life, who have, you know, friends that you've had for 50 years, that's awesome. But I don't just because of the transitions in my life. And I was reminded this week as I traveled with a friend who we did the funeral together, who I've who've been a intimate, knows me well, knows everything about me, friend, for 28, 29 years. I thought, what a great gift. In the middle of all of the darkness, in the middle of all of the issues, be absolutely grateful for that relationship that God has entrusted into your care. Whether you have one or a thousand, be thankful for the one. And then as you hear me say on so many different occasions, every once in a while, say to that one, I'm so glad you're in my life. Your mate, your best friend, um, whoever that may be, Every once in a while, I'll just say, thank you for being in my life. 
in the middle of this uncertain world and the darkness goes on around me and looking to the news every day, I'm thankful you're in my life and you're that stable force. Final thing that he had is that God gave him a glimpse of the future. In Jeremiah 31, he said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke that covenant. Though I was a husband to them, they broke it. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors, say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Jeremiah and you and I are incredibly blessed with the fact that God gives us a glimpse of the future. Here, he gave him a glimpse of the future and then another glimpse of the future day that we'll talk about in a moment out of Revelation. You and I have been blessed with the same glimpses. You and I have been blessed with the same environment. We have seen the same story. We have seen the same truths from the word of God. Do you realize how awesome it is to be born on this side of the cross? I don't know if you remember that or even think of that, but how awesome it is to be born on this side of Calvary. You're not looking forward to Jesus coming. You're not looking forward to the cross. You're not dragging those sacrifices to the altar or to the temple every week. You have Jesus Christ who came and died and paid our sins, paid the ultimate price so that you and I can have a relationship with him and then went to glory so that he could intercede on our behalf every day of our life. We have a best friend in Jesus. I no longer call you strangers. I call you friends, he said. Realize how awesome it is to be born on this side of Calvary. This week when I was watching the Syrian refugees just trying to find home, that regardless of what we think politically, I'm not worried about that right now, but these, that, the group of guys from Cuba who jumped on a boat and sailed all the way to Miami, jumped off the boat with nothing to try to start a new life. And I'm not going to talk about immigration and all that jazz, don't, so don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm just saying... How unbelievably fortunate I am to be born where I was. When you look at where some others are. And then I was reminded how unbelievably awesome it is to be born on this side of the cross. To know what Christ has done for me and what he offers us. Not only did God give Jeremiah a sense of the future and a glimpse of the future, he gives it to you and I as well. Paul writes in Corinthians, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. In Revelation 7, he says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from every tribe and people and language, standing before the throne of God. They were wearing bright white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. They cried with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne before the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever. Revelation, the author writes, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. From heaven, like a bride prepared, beautifully dressed for her husband, I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And to be honest with you, the longer I'm in ministry and the more funerals I do, the more I'm looking forward to this part, when he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. 
No more death, no more mourning, no more pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He that sat on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Write it down because these words are faithful and true. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. And the angel showed me the river of water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down in the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life. Twelve crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. No longer any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. And the servants will serve him. They'll see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. No more night. No need of a light or a lamp of the sun. For the Lord God himself will give them light. And they will reign with him forever and ever. So in the midst of darkness, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of an unbelievable future, you and I have been given an unbelievable gift and glimpse of God himself of what he has for us in the future. And because of that, even in the middle of the uncertainty, we give him 